Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. It is good to be with you. Good to celebrate God's, uh, just to be with you and talk about Jesus together. I uh, just want to say, if you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. It is good to have you. If there are, is there anything that we can do to help you get connected to the community here at River City, we'd love to do that. Come find me or Aaron or Becky or one of the small group leaders. We'd love to help you get connected here. So... Uh, this morning, uh, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew over the course of this year, and we're continuing our study in Matthew. And if you've been here, uh, if you missed a few weeks, you, uh, you're, we're going to be at the end, the very end of the book of Matthew this morning and next week, and you're like, hey, I feel like we skipped like half the book. What, what's, what's going on there? Well, we're just kind of skipping ahead a little bit uh, to time our study with, uh, with Easter here. We'll go back and study the rest of the kind of the middle chunk of Matthew over the course of the next coming months, and, and there's some really, really good stuff there that you're not going to want to miss. So just a heads up about where we're at. So this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, taking a look at the Last Supper and the origins of communion together. Uh, and on Easter Sunday next week, we're going to be in chapter 28, taking a look at uh, the empty tomb and Jesus' resurrection. Um, but on Friday, uh, during our Good Friday service, we're really going to be, we're going to be taking a look at chapter 27 together. And I just want to just personally invite you to come on Friday evening to to the Good Friday service. Um, I think that coming on Friday will give you such a much a, a greater understanding of the significance of what's going on on Sunday. And it's like, Sunday is really good news because of what happens on Friday. And so I just want to encourage you to come to that. I think it's going to be really good for your heart. I know preparing for that has been really good for my heart in the meantime. And so I just want to encourage you to that. So come 6 p.m. on Friday. It'll be under an hour. There's nursery if you've got little kids. And, and I think it'll be good for your heart. So I just want to invite you to that. So this morning, we are in chapter 26 in the book of Matthew. And what we're, what we're going to be studying uh, this morning, our passage is commonly referred to as the Last Supper. And it's the, the final meal that Jesus eats with his disciples on the night that he is arrested and eventually uh, led to, to being crucified the following day. And so we'll talk about this more, but the meal that they're eating is an incredibly significant and important meal in, in the Jewish tradition. It's, uh, it's called the Passover meal. And it was a meal that the Jewish people had been celebrating every year for the last 1,400 year plus years at this point. But this time, this meal would be very different. See, because what's going to happen in our passage this morning is that Jesus is going to reveal to the disciples the, the true meaning behind the meal that they were celebrating. This time, he's going to show them what they're remembering was always meant to point them to in the end. And so in doing so, what Jesus is going to do, we'll see him do this morning, is that he's going to institute a brand new meal. One that practically every, all, all Christians have observed in some form ever since, and that's communion. Whether you, it depends on what kind of tradition or church background you come from. It's also known as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or the Eucharist. Um, and that just depends on what background you come from. But, but Christians have always celebrated this tradition, pretty much every tradition. And so as we study the origins of this incredibly significant Christian tradition this morning... What I want to help us do is, is see what communion is really all about. I think sometimes it's easy to get lost in this, the traditions and in the rituals. And we don't know the why behind what we're doing. But it is so important that we understand the why behind what we're doing when we take communion. And the significance of that. And ultimately... Why, why we do it, and, and what does it mean, and why does it even matter? And, and so ultimately, as we study this morning, what I want to show you is that communion, like the Passover meal before it, is all about orienting our hearts around the past, present, and future reality of the saving work of God in our lives. See, communion is about orienting our hearts around the past, 
present and future reality of God's saving work in our lives. And my, my prayer this week as I've studied and prepped has been that our study you know, wouldn't just be information for your head, but that it would be good news for your hearts. As we study God's word, as we, as we see who he is and all that he has done, and that it would well up into worship in our hearts and in our lives. And so to that end, let's pray, and we'll dive in into our study of our passage this morning. Jesus, we just come before you, and we just say we need you. God, we, I, I need you to fill me with your spirit so that, I, that I'm able to teach and, and preach rightly. God, I don't have what I need without you. God, and we need you as well to make our hearts moldable and soft so that we might be able to respond to your word rightly this morning. God, we just come dependent on you. And so, God, we ask that for our good and for your glory, you would, you would speak to us through your word, that it would be good news that changes our hearts and our lives and that we respond to rightly because of you. And so, God, we ask that you would come and work in our hearts and lives this morning. God, we pray that you would do that for our good, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in uh, the middle part of Matthew 26, beginning in verse 17 this morning. And on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat Passover? And he replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him that the teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and he prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad, and they uh, they began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and, and and he had given thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for for many for the forgiveness of sins. For I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. You see, our passage this morning, it begins by telling us that that Jesus and his disciples were preparing to celebrate the Passover meal. Now, that that little nugget, that that sets the stage for the whole passage this morning. And so so from the very beginning, what we see is if we want to understand what communion is all about, then we need to understand the meal at which it was inaugurated at, at which it was begun at. Because as we'll see this morning, like the Passover meal before it, communion is ultimately about orienting the hearts of God's people around the past, present, and future reality of God's saving work in their lives. And so that Passover meal, 
It was a, a meal that Jesus and disciples were eating. It was a meal that the Jewish people, like I said, that they had actually been celebrating every year for over 1,400 years. And it was a meal in, that was a remembering of the night uh, uh, that they ate, of the night in remembrance of the night that God rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. In Exodus, we read that God's people are in slavery in Egypt, and, and God has sent Moses to the Egyptian king, his name is Pharaoh, and, and repeatedly told Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh, he just straight up refuses. And even in the face of increasing uh, plagues and incre- this, these devastating plagues that God brought on the Egyptian people, the Pharaoh just refuses. You see, the Israelites were kind of the Egyptians' slave labor force. And, and to free them would, would, be, would be devastating for, for everyone, basically. And so all of this happens, increasing plagues. And finally, in Exodus 11, we see that God warns Pharaoh... One last warning. And he says at midnight that God would go throughout all of Egypt and kill all of the firstborn sons of people and of cattle if the Pharaoh did not set the Israelites free. And the Pharaoh, he still refuses. And so in preparation for this night, God instructed Moses to to have each of the Israelite households slaughter an unblemished lamb and and to eat the meat and then put some of its blood on the door frames of their houses. And it it was intended to be a demonstration of their faith in God and of their dependence on his sovereign grace that would that would be the thing that freed them. And and so that night, just as he had promised, God went throughout all of Egypt, killing firstborn sons and cattle. But he would pass over all of the houses who had blood on the doors. And for all those houses, death wouldn't come, instead life would. And there'd be mo- there wouldn't be mourning, there would be rejoicing. There wouldn't be a funeral, there would be a celebration. You see, and from then on, God's people, per God's instructions, every year they would celebrate the deliverance that God had acquired for them that night with a festival called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And it began, the first night of that festival every year began with a Passover meal. It was a a meal that remembered the night that the Israelites, the meal that they ate that night that God rescued them and delivered them. See, in the point of this festival, the reason why God is telling them, I want you to remember this, I want you to celebrate this, I want you to rethink on this every year, is what God was doing is that he, he meant for this festival and this meal to be a way in which his people regularly oriented their hearts around the past, present, and future reality of his saving work in their lives. You see, the Passover meal, it was meant to help the Israelites remember the past, to remember all that God has done, what he had delivered them from, how he had freed them from the bonds of slavery and death in Egypt. But it was also meant that in remembering that, that, they would, that what God had done in the past, it was meant to strengthen them for the present journey that they were on. Just as the first Passover meal was meant to strengthen the Israelites for the journey that they would be on out of Egypt. But the Passover meal, it always had a future tense as well. It always has an expectation, a, a, a consideration of what would come because what we see in Exodus is God doesn't just promise to free his people from, the, from slavery in Egypt. He promises to bring them into a land that he had promised their ancestor Abraham, a, a land of blessing and of hope and of rest. And so it's against the backdrop of, of that meal that we see Jesus instituting a brand new meal. A meal that, like the one before it, was meant to regularly orient the hearts of God's people around the past, present, and future reality of God's saving work. But this meal, it would be different. See, this meal would be different because it was about orienting the hearts of God's people around the ultimate reality 
of God's saving work in their lives. You see, because the Israelites, what they really needed saving from wasn't slavery in Egypt, it was slavery in sin. You see, and what they ultimately needed strength for wasn't just the journey out of Egypt, it was the journey of sanctification out of a life of sin. And Their ultimate hope wasn't going to be found in, in where they physically ended, in somewhere. Their, their ultimate hope was, was going to be found in being with someone you see, and that's the ultimate reality that Jesus' words in verses 26 and 28 are pointing the disciples and pointing us towards. We read this in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink anew of in my Father's kingdom. Do you see it? You see how this meal is about, it's about the ultimate things. It's the things to which that Passover meal was always pointing towards. The Passover was just a shadow of this meal. You see, what Jesus is saying would have been radical to the disciples. This is, this is not what you say at a Passover meal. This isn't like how it goes. Like this would have been like, what, what's happening? This is, this is not how this goes. It goes the same every time. This is not, this is not that way. Like what, what is going on here? That's what would have been going on in the disciples' mind. You see, Jesus isn't just simply expanding their understanding of this meal with his words. He is redefining it altogether. You see, Jesus is saying, this, this bread that you, that you used to break and eat as a reminder of the bread your ancestors ate the night God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, now I want you to eat it in remembrance of something else, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of my body broken for you. And this cup that you drink as a reminder of the promises that God kept to your ancestors, the promises he made to them in Exodus 6 to, to redeem them and to rescue them. From now on, I want you to drink it as a reminder of how God has kept his ultimate promise to rescue you from your ultimate en en enemy of sin. You see, what Jesus is doing here in verse 28 is he's making a direct reference to a promise that God had made in Jeremiah 31 that one day God was going to establish a new covenant with his people. It's a covenant that would solve the problem of sin once and for all. It's a covenant that would be different than the one God had made with their ancestors. You see, and what Jesus is saying is, my death, it's the means by which this new covenant is possible. My body broken for you, my blood poured out for you so that your sin might be forgiven. You see, in, what, in communion, what Jesus is he's doing, he's appropriating these images of covenant that are found throughout the Old Testament, these images of divided flesh and of spilled blood, and Jesus, what he's saying is he's saying, don't just look on these things. See, communion isn't just something that we observe. Communion is something that we take into ourselves. Because what Jesus is doing is the righteousness that he is offering, the forgiveness that he's offering, it's a, it's a cleansing that happens from the inside out. You see, nothing miraculous happens to you when, when you go back to the tables in the back and you dip the bread in the juice and you put it in your mouth. Nothing miraculous is happening internally. Instead, what we're doing is we're remembering that the nature of Jesus' new covenant is not external. It's internal. And the work that his covenant accomplishes is the cleansing of our hearts and of our souls. 
It's written on our hearts and it, it cleanses us from the inside out. You see, so often what we, what we try to do is we try to clean ourselves up on the outside. We try to make our lives presentable. We try to clean ourselves up so that God will be pleased with us, so that, we'll, that, that he won't, or at least that he won't be angry with us. And the truth is, is that what Jesus teaches over and over and over and over again is that it's not the external, that righteousness that will save you. It is an internal one, and there is only one way to be cleansed. And Jesus is saying, my body, my blood is what secures that new covenant for you. Nothing else. You see, but what we can't miss this morning is that the good news of this covenant is offered to people who are not worthy of it. See, Jesus offers this new covenant. He celebrates it for the first time with these disciples they are not worthy of it. Jesus says, in the beginning, he says, tonight one of you will betray me. And all the disciples, they go around one by one. It's not going to be me. It could be me. But it's not going to be me, right? right? They're, they're, what they're realizing is that this wouldn't have been the first time that they radically let Jesus down. Right? And what we see later on is that Peter foolishly, in the end of our passage this morning, he says that he would never deny Jesus. And all the rest of the disciples are like, yeah. We would also never do that. We know how that ends, right? And did you see this? Jesus shares this meal with the one who would betray him ultimately. Judas is absolutely not worthy to share in that meal. To celebrate what Jesus is offering them to remember and to see. And the truth is, is that you and I are not worthy of it either. And yet Jesus still offers it to us. You see, the good news of the covenant that we celebrate in communion, like the good news of Passover before it, is that God invites those to eat at his table that do not deserve to be there. Not because we are worthy on our own, but because Jesus' life and his death given for us. That's what makes us worthy. You see, the new covenant is good news because it is not based on your ability to keep your promises. It is not based on your ability to maintain some righteousness which you procure for yourself. It's based on God's faithfulness to keep his promises. It's based on his righteousness given to you. One of my seminary classes, a fellow student of mine, he shared a story about how during an especially rough semester in college, he had, he had gotten incredibly drunk and he proceeded to do and say some things that he was really ashamed of. And he went to church that following Sunday. And it came time for communion and he was like, I'm not, I'm not taking communion this morning, right? He just said, I, I just felt totally unworthy of it. And as he was sitting and praying, he felt as though he heard a voice in his head that said, go to the table. I died so that you could join me at the table. You see, in that moment, what he had realized is that Christ had died for his sins. Christ has died for his mistakes, for his, his drunken rebellion, <laughs> You see, it wasn't his righteous acts that made him worthy to celebrate communion. It was Jesus' righteous acts on his behalf. You see, communion is about orienting our hearts around the past, present, and future reality of God's saving work made known in the gospel because you and I, we need it every day because we forget 
You see, we forget that like the Israelites who were powerless and enslaved in Egypt, we too were enslaved in slavery to sin, powerless to save ourselves. And we forget that just like God made a way out for the Israelites, uh, a way out of slavery and death in Egypt by the blood of a sacrificial land, that God has made a way out for us under slavery to sin through the faith in the one who served as our sacrificial lamb, the blood who was shed for us instead of ours by the blood of the lamb. You see, and we forget that. It's the gospel that empowers our obedience today and our, and our lives live for God's glory, not our own effort and not our own worthiness. And you see, we can't do it on our own. And God knew that, which is why he sent Jesus in the first place, not just to save us, but to cleanse us so that the spirit of God might come to dwell within us and empower us to live as he called us to, to live a life that we could not live without him. And we forget that our ultimate hope is not found somewhere in this life. It is found in being with the one who has saved us, who is saving us, and who will finally save us. See, Revelation 19, it tells us about a meal. It tells us about a day that we will sit down in a heavenly kingdom at the table of the king for the ultimate meal. And the angel speaks to John and he says, Blessed are those who sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb. See, Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb. He is the true and better substitute, which procures for us not just a freedom from a physical slavery, but from a slavery to sin in which nothing could free us apart from him. See, in taking communion, it reminds us of those truths. It helps us to orient our heart around that past, present, and future reality of the the saving power of the gospel, the truth that God has saved us from the penalty of sin, that God is saving us from the power of sin in our lives every day, and and that one day God will save us from the presence of sin altogether. And all of that is possible because of Jesus's life and death, his life given for us, his life lived for us, his death poured out for us instead of us. See, and that's what we're doing when we celebrate communion. The bread and the drink, they remind us of Jesus' body and of his blood, which is broken for us and which was shed for us as he lived the life that we should have lived and as he died the death that you and I were supposed to die and he paid the penalty that you and I should have paid so that we might be forgiven and made right so that we might have a right relationship with God. You see, communion, it does not make you right with God. It does not change your status or your standing with him in any way. The only thing The only thing that changes your status or your standing with God is faith in the covenant that God offers us to enter into through Jesus. By faith in his life lived for you. By faith in his death died for you in your place instead of you. And so this morning, if you have trusted Jesus and if you have believed the gospel, then turn our time of worship, go back. Take communion, celebrate it. There are two tables in the back of the room, one on the left and one on the right. And during our time of worship, you go back and you dip the bread in the juice, and that's how you take communion here at River City. There's no, nobody's going to dismiss you. Nobody is going to excuse you. Nobody's going to be looking at what you're doing. Instead, it's a chance for you to remember all that Jesus has done, to celebrate him and all that he is doing. You see, communion is about orienting our hearts around the past, present, and future reality of God's salvation. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you need to be reminded of? In taking communion this morning, what part of that saving reality do you need to be reminded of? 
See, maybe that you are here this morning and you need to remember and you need to celebrate that you have been saved. That God kept his promises, that in Christ there is no condemnation. You feel unworthy. You feel full of guilt or full of shame. And what you need to remember is that Jesus died on your, on your behalf. That he died instead of you. That he is the one who makes you worthy, not yourself. Maybe you need to remember this morning the strength that God offers you in the gospel that empowers you to live for him every day. You see, so often people think about the gospel as something past. It's the first stepping stone. It's the beginnings. But that is absolutely missing the whole thing. You see, the gospel is not just the first of a stepping stone in faith. It is the hub of the wheel by which everything in our lives must connect. You see, you cannot obey Jesus on your own. You cannot follow him on your own. You cannot live for him on your own. You cannot do what he has asked you to do on your own. What you need is his power in you to do it. And that's what the gospel gives you. Without the gospel, you do not have the power you need to live for him and to obey and to honor him and to live in the ways that he has called. You do not have it on your own. And what communion might be a reminder for you this morning is that in communion you are remembering that Jesus died not just to save you from sin, but he died so that he might empower you to live for him today. Maybe this morning, what you need to remember is the future hope that you have in the gospel. You need to set your eyes on the meal that one day you will sit down in the, in the heavenly kingdom at Jesus' table at the feast that he has prepared and the feast that he has waited patiently to celebrate with you. You see, and on that day, what we will enjoy is the life that Jesus died so that we might have. You see, so often we get caught up in the here and the now. We get caught up in these false hopes and these glimmers of joy. And what we need to do is to set our hearts on eternity. You see, and what communion does is a reminder that our hope isn't here, that our ultimate joy isn't here, that the thing we are to long for and to look for and to live in light of isn't here, it's there. And that one day we will sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb with him to enjoy all that he has accomplished for us. And that one day we will celebrate that God had saved us, that he was saving us, and that he ultimately saved us in the end. You see, the gospel is good news. The gospel is a past, present, and future reality. And when we take communion, we are remembering those truths because we need to remember all of it. But in order to orient your heart around those truths, you must receive it first. You see, you must trust in the one who offers the covenant to you, surrendering to him as Savior, but also as Lord. You see, Judas, he called Jesus rabbi. What we never see in all of the, the New Testament records is that, Jesus, that Judas ever called Jesus Lord. You see, to Judas, Jesus was simply a teacher, but he was not king. Jesus, Judas rejected the lordship of Jesus. He refused to surrender and submit to Jesus' kingly identity and his kingly authority. And I would plead with you this morning, do not miss. Do not miss the invitation that Jesus is extending to you. 
You see, Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb who died not just for you, he died instead of you. You see, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And all of us have sinned. You see, in the truth of communion, what we remember and celebrate is that there was one who died instead of us. Taking communion, it doesn't save you. But maybe this morning, you have been saved because for the first time, you have put your trust in the person and the work of Jesus to forgive you and to make you right with God. And if that is the case, go back and take communion. Do it as a celebration with life and joy. Come tell me about that. But if you're not there yet, if you are still figuring out who Jesus is, if you have some questions, you're still wrestling with that, I want you to know you are welcome here. You are welcome here. This church is right for you. This community is right for you. Jesus is right for you. But communion isn't yet. You see, you have to receive the gift in order to celebrate and remember it. Otherwise, it's just a dead ritual or even worse, a false hope. Eating the bread and eating the juice, it does not save you. It cannot save you. The one thing that can is when you put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus who has died for you in your place. Oh, that our celebration of communion this morning and every morning, that it wouldn't be a dead ritual or a false hope, but it would be instead a way in which we orient our hearts around the good news of the gospel, around the reality that God has saved us, that he is saving us, and that he ultimately will save us in the end. You see, that's what our hope is in. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember every week when we take communion. You see, what we need is to remember the gospel. That's what our hearts need every week. That's what we need all the time. That's where the only hope that we have is found. And so this morning... Go back and take communion. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if he is your king, if your hope is found in him, then do it as a celebration. Enjoy it. Treasure it. Orient your heart around the reality of God's saving work in your lives. Ask God to help you remember what it is that he wants to remind you of this morning. For your good, but more than anything, for his great glory as you enjoy and celebrate him. Let's pray. King Jesus, we come to you this morning. God, we are so grateful for your word. God, we are so grateful for the invitation that you have given us to remember all that you have done for us on our behalf. God, and what the disciples did not understand, God, we get to see in hindsight. What they, what they missed, we get to see in full. You see, Jesus, we come with thankful hearts because you have saved us. God, for those who are here this morning who have not yet received the offer of salvation that you have given, God, I pray that they might see it as good news to them that they would lay hold of this morning by faith in you. 
God, and for all of us, for those of us who, who have long since received the offer that you have extended of salvation for us, God, I pray that you might renew a joy in our hearts, that you might remind us in the ways our hearts need to be remembered of the, the past reality of how you have saved us, about the present reality of the gospel's power to, to save us ongoingly from the power of sin in our lives. God, that you might set our hearts on the hope of the future of the gospel gives us, a hope of life with you. And so, God, for our good, but more than anything for your glory, might you help us to remember and to orient our hearts around your work in our lives, past, present, and future. We need it. We pray it in your name. Amen.